Many of you know I was raised in the desert of Arizona, and, and uh, sunburns were just kind of a way of life out there. If you weren't, it, yes, it's a dry heat, uh, but it also burns. And uh, they average something like 300 days of sunshine a year, and so um, you have to be careful. And I don't even know if sunscreen existed back when I was a kid. I remember suntan lotion. I don't think that's the same. And I remember a couple of rather nasty sunburns, and I won't describe uh, peeling the skin off my arms and that, because some of you get the heebie-jeebies over that, so I won't do it. But dermatologists now really cringe about that. I mean, doctors are voicing far more concern about the dangers of sun exposure and tanning and, and all those kinds of things. And those dangers are real with melanomas, and I think we do need to be somewhat careful about it. This story that we'll look at today that Marjean just read talks about the sun not going down for basically a whole day, so it, it was up for most of two days, and, and uh, if, if that happened now, you'd need some pretty intense uh, sunscreen to, uh, to deal with that. But what the Amorites really learned is that not only the sun could be fatal, but so could the hellstones and the Israelites' swords as well. It's an amazing story of God's very powerful intervention. And I, I uh, will tell you now, I think the point is clear that if God could do what he did then, he can do it now. If he could operate in their lives in that way then, he can operate in our lives now and, and see to our needs as well. It's a matter of trusting him and living in obedience. So that's what I'm going to share with you this morning. Um, Joshua chapter 10, the first five verses, there are all kinds of names. I didn't want to read them, so I didn't think Marjean should have to read them either. And, and uh, just a whole lot of names there. At this point in the book of Joshua, Israel is being led by Joshua. They're taking over Canaan, essentially one city at a time. Their orders were kind of a, a scalded earth policy. They were to kill everybody. They were to thoroughly destroy their enemies along the way. And, and so Jericho and Ai have already fallen. We looked at that last week. And in chapter 9, as the Israelites carry out this campaign of, of virtually total destruction against their enemies, um, obviously word started to spread and the word got out. And, and the Gibeonites heard about this. And so what they did was put on real old clothes and, and uh, you know, threw dust on themselves and looked real ratty and all. And then they went to Joshua and they said, we're from a far country and we traveled a long ways and pr please protect us and stuff. And Joshua did not inquire of the Lord at that point. And so they tricked him and he made a, a peace treaty with the Gibeonites. So he didn't destroy them, made them slaves, made them wood woodcutters and made them servants, but, but didn't kill them all off. So I, I guess cutting wood is better than dying. Um, and so the Gibeonites tricked them, but it was, it was Joshua's uh, mistake not to inquire of the Lord. And so they have this treaty while the other uh, Amorite kings knew that Gibeon was a, an important city and stuff. So five of them get together and they say, well, let's go, let's go destroy Gibeon. So the Gibeonites call Joshua on his cell phone and they say, help! Okay. Because there's, there's five kings coming to get us and you need to come and help us because you have this treaty. Look at verse 6 in Joshua chapter 10. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to help us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. And so they ask uh, for help uh, to be delivered. And in verses Basically, the rest of the chapter, or verses 7 through 15, I mean, um, it tells a story in, in verses 7 through 11 of how 
Joshua and the army march uh, throughout the night. They marched about 25 miles uh, during the night. They climbed, they climbed hills as they marched. They ascended about 3,300 feet. Now to go 25 miles overnight uphill, they were doing double or triple time. And I just want you to appreciate that. That's a long haul. Now they're on foot, they're not riding Humvees, okay? They're, they're marching, they're, and they're doing double or triple time because they're really hurrying. I mean, it was a loud help, and so they're, they're in a hurry to get there. And when the battle begins, it says they, they were, the, the enemy is surprised because they knew Joshua was a long way away, and it's kind of a surprise attack. They didn't think that he would show up or that the Israelite army would be there at all. And to make matters worse for the enemy, it says God caused confusion among the Amorites. And the battle immediately began to go Israel's way. And Israel pursues the Amorites for about 25 miles between the, the cities that are mentioned there. It's about 25 miles. Now, I don't want to be silly, and I don't know that God was really having fun at doing this, but the Amorites are running around in confusion all over, running for their lives from the Israelites, and God's dropping large hailstones on them. Okay? So God's, you know, the military thinks they're good now because they have the laser-guided bombs and stuff. Well, God's hitting moving targets too. He's throwing hailstones and hitting them. And it says more of them died from the hailstones than from the swords of the Israelites. So you wonder how frustrating it was for the Israelites when they're chasing a guy and they go, I got a poop and a hailstone hits. Like, oh, rats, you know, didn't get to get him. God got him first. So God is uh, obviously fighting on, on their side and taking care of many of them. I want to read again verses 12 through 14, though. Listen to what takes place as Joshua prays and as God intervenes. It's an incredible story. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jasher. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. So God's dropping hailstones. They're catching up. They're, they're wiping out these five Amorite kings and their armies. Joshua says, we need to keep this up, but it's getting late in the day. So he prays for the sun to stand still, and God answered that prayer immediately. And the sun stood high in the sky for about another day. Now, those of you that have been through at least like eighth grade science class know that that's quite a trick. Okay? For the sun, you also know the sun didn't stop because the sun doesn't move. That's quite a trick. That's what takes place. The Israelite army is totally victorious. The Gibeonites are saved whether they deserve that or not. And what applications are there then for us in this story? <coughs> Excuse me. Well, I, I see a number of them, but here's what I put on your outlines for you. First of all, I think as believers in Jesus Christ, opposition will come. Opposition will come. 
The Israelites were God's people. They had launched this campaign. They are obeying God. They are doing what he told them to do. And there's opposition all along the way. Virtually at every step, there was opposition to them being obedient to God because other people were not obedient to God, were not living God's ways and didn't want them to carry out what God had to say to them. And it can be that way in our lives as well, that even though we're striving to lead obedient lives, there's opposition along the way. And I couldn't help but think of James 1, 2, and 3 because at times I think we don't like these verse, these verses. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And we say, I don't want perseverance, and I don't want trials, and I don't want my faith tested, because that's not easy. And no, it's not. And we grow through difficult times like we never grow when it's easy. You know, you don't master sailing on calm days. You master without the wind. You master sailing when the wind's blowing. And the seas are a little bit rougher. I think we need to realize that we will face opposition. And that the message of Christianity is not that there will be no problems. The message of Christianity will be that there is the addition of God's power in the midst of those problems. When we accept Christ, it's absolutely silly to say there'll be no more problems, there'll be no more trials. Oftentimes there are more. So it's not the subtraction of problems, it's the fact that we have the addition of the Holy Spirit, we have the addition of God's power into our lives to face the opposition that will come. And as surely as God was fighting for Israel on that day, he's on our side now and and works on our behalf as well. And the world doesn't understand the way we live we looked at Daniel a couple of weeks ago. You know, the guys didn't understand why Daniel prayed three times a day. They didn't get it. They, they just didn't register. In their culture, you didn't do that. And in our culture, a lot of people don't strive to obey God in the ways that we do. And so opposition will come. They don't get it. They don't understand. We really shouldn't expect them to. We just know that opposition will come. But so will God. So will God. I would submit to you, and I want to do this gently, but I would submit to you that if we never or rarely face any opposition, that maybe our light isn't shining bright enough for Christ. That if we are offending absolutely no one with our Christianity, then maybe it's not showing well enough. A second lesson I see is that Commitments are only good if they're backed up. In verse 6, the Gibeonites yell to Joshua, Help! Because they're in deep trouble. The five Amorite kings are after them. They want to, you know, take them over and wipe them out. The Gibeonites deceived Joshua. They lied. They tricked him. They were deceitful. And yet Joshua made a mistake and made a pact, made a treaty with them and said, yeah, we'll protect you. And so when they yelled for help and when Joshua found out that he had been deceived, what many people would have done and what would have been easier for Joshua is to say, sorry, can't hear you, la, 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 you know, and just ignore it and let the Amorites wipe him out. And that would have ended Joshua's problem because then he would have been in better obedience to God because then, you know, The Gibeonites would have been wiped out like they should have been in the first place before they tricked him. 
So Joshua could have said, nope, sorry, you tricked me. You get to get wiped out. But Joshua doesn't do that. He'd made a treaty in God's name with the Gibeonites. And so in the power of God, he kept that treaty. It wasn't easy. It wasn't convenient. It, it was really no personal benefit to Joshua other than his own integrity. And so he kept his word because he'd made a commitment to them in, in God's name. He could have very easily let them be wiped out, but he didn't do that at all. He kept the commitment that he made. Remember when a man's word meant something? You know, when you could agree to something verbally and shake hands and that was as good as, you know, any contract that's ever been written. That's essentially how Joshua was living. Now we have to parse the meaning of the word is because certain men's words mean nothing. So when we make a commitment, I just believe that we need to back it up. We need to keep our word. If we tell, tell someone we will pray for them, I think we need to pray for them. If we say that we will call, then I think we need to call. If we say we'll come and visit, then I think we need to go and visit. If we say let's get together, then get together. It, is a matter of keeping our word. It really is a matter of integrity. The third lesson I see is that God is with us. What a powerful lesson here. You, you notice throughout the story that God was doing the fighting and Joshua was doing the obeying. There are just numerous promises in Scripture that God will be with us. And we need to have no doubt about that. In fact, we need to have absolute confidence about that and live like God is with us in the boldness of sharing our faith, in the boldness of obeying God and being distinct from the world around us. We need to, to live as if God is with us. In the beginning of the book of Joshua, when Joshua is just taking over from Moses in chapter 1 and verse 9, God says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I put all those verses from last week on there that say similar things. But God is with us to the, the, where Jesus said he's with us to the very end of the age. That, that he will never leave us or forsake us. God was fighting the battles in this story, and he's fighting on our behalf. He is present with us as well. And a fourth lesson, that nothing is too difficult for God. You know, I wrote that, and then I, I remembered, <laughs> and I hope it was God that brought it to my mind. Um, <laughs> remembered an, an old routine from Bill Cosby. And I think he was talking about going to Catholic school with the nuns, the nuns, you know, all of that. And he, and he, he said they kind of like to play mind games with the nuns, and he said it wasn't much competition, but he didn't realize that then. Um, the nuns were way above him. But he, he said when they were goofing around, and one of the, the things that they asked was, if, if God can do anything, can God make a, a rock so big that even he can't throw it? 
It was funnier when Bill Cosby did it. We see what God does here. It's absolutely incredible. He brings confusion on the enemy. He drops large hailstones on moving targets, you know, and hits them. And then, oh, yeah, he just happens to make the sun not go down for like an extra day. Well, if you've been to science class, you know the sun doesn't move anyway. The earth rotates. You think you're sitting still right now, but you're not. You know, we're all moving pretty fast as the earth rotates, I think, in the neighborhood of 1,000 miles an hour. Um, and yet the sun didn't go down for the better part of another day. And I read all kinds of theories about how did God do that? Did he stop the earth? You know, did, did all of a sudden the earth stop rotating and everybody fell over, you know, when, the, when it stopped? Then they got back up and went on. I heard, you know, I read stuff about light refraction. I read all kinds of silly stuff. I don't know how God did it. He's God. I'm not. I just know he did it. And I just know if you go back in the calendar prior to this time and go forward, there's a day missing. And if you count from now and go backwards, there's a day missing. And most scientists are clueless. They don't know how that happened. All they got to do is read Joshua 10. God did it. But that's too easy an explanation, I think. Nothing is too difficult for God. The battle was decisive. The sun did not set. That was rather decisive. If God can do whatever he did, if he can stop the rotation of the earth, if he did, however he worked that out, do you and I think he can't handle situations in our lives? Come on. Nothing is too difficult for God. The problem comes in our lack of faith or trust or obedience to him. He handled that. I know some of you face difficult times. But God can handle that as well and can help you through no matter what it is. In a couple of moments, we're going to celebrate communion. God handled our sin. He gave his only son to die in our place and turned his back and let him die when it should have been you and me. He handled sin. Making the sun stand still probably wasn't that hard. In Joshua 10 and verse 14, there has never been a day like it before or since. Pretty amazing day. Joshua to say, God, stop the sun, and he did. Pretty amazing day. But there's an even better day coming. It's described in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. It says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord forever. And verse 18 says, therefore, encourage each other with these words. Because there's an even greater day coming than when the sun didn't go down. It's when the sun comes down.
And when he does that, he'll establish the kingdom of God upon the earth, and he will reign. And what a day that will be. God can do all of that. He can handle whatever you face as well. So let him surrender to him.